No, but Knives Out 2 Knives and it's Out a musical, 2, but a musical. That would be exquisite. Oh, you know. I, I just, you in know. my head, like I saw the track list and at the top, or like not at the top, like song number four is like, they don't know I did it. And it's sung <laughs> by like the current most suspicious person. But it's it's actually like, it's full of double meanings, but it's referring to something completely unrelated <laughs> to the murder. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's like, exactly. I've been secretly donating my salary to a local pet shelter. <laughs> they don't know I did it. Um. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. I am Blue, and I'm joined by Red. Hello! Physically, in this specific case, as we are located in the same room. Yes! How unusual! <laughs> Usually we're separated by oceans and stars, but now we're in the same space, so... Uh, yes. Audio quality, yay! But no, uh, Red, why are we why are we hanging out uh, this weekend? We're hanging out because we just finished going to the World Science Fiction Convention, also known as... Shycon when it is happening in Chicago, which this year it happens to be. Although next year, who knows what the future may hold? I think it has been decided, but we we didn't bother. We weren't paying attention. Who knows? Yes. But yes, before we once again part our separate ways, uh, we are taking advantage of this brief period to have just top quality audio quality that's much harder for our <laughs> beloved uh, editor Indigo to cut apart if we do. I'm also talk. here. Yes, <laughs> but we decided not to put all three of us in one room. No. <laughs> oh. um, Otherwise, it would be uneditable. On <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, um, so, Red, we had a, a handful of panels that, that we, mostly you, were doing. Because um, this is my first time ever doing panels. Yeah. And it was fun. It was. It was very cool. We had one panel together that was on, uh, basically, Lancers. It was Weird Number 2, so we try <laughs> harder. And then one that was Tropes as Tools, which is like the... Why did we bother making Trope Talks panel? Uh, and they were fun. I, I had a good time. Did you have any uh, any highlights from your experience at the con? Well, honestly, it's just been a lot of fun showing you guys around this convention for the first time because I've been going to sci-fi cons for years and years. Uh, but uh, neither of you had been to cons before mm-hmm. VidCon in June and certainly not sci-fi conventions. And uh, as a bit of a, a convention aficionado, at least before you know, the dark times. Uh, I've uh, developed a lot of opinions about different kinds of conventions. And for me, sci-fi cons are definitely the uh, the one I find most comfortable and just kind of nostalgic because this is very much the environment I grew up in, in the <laughs> convention circuit. Uh, and I've, you know, I've been to like, we've done C2E2 a couple times yeah, in a very, very just sort of like hanging out, walking yeah. around capacity. Uh, there have been other conventions we've gone to. Uh, I've been to a few anime cons around the country, which um, not really my flavor <laughs> so much. It's There's like... I tend to operate at like a six on an energy scale, and most anime cons tend to average about a fifteen. So one time I was in Baltimore, and BronyCon found me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I might have even been the last one, considering when it happened. You might have. We'll have to ask um, Jenny. But. Yeah, <laughs> but yes. Uh, so I really enjoy showing people around places that I'm familiar with and just conventions in general. Uh, like I like knowing how it works and and introducing them to other people. And I like it when other people enjoy them. So I'm really glad that you had fun on the panels. No, I, I had a blast. Because, yeah. I mean, you know, we, we've done the Trope Talks. We've done the streams. We've done uh, podcasts and all kinds of stuff. But being in front of people is it's a different ballgame. Oh, yeah, Like, even sure. when it's already live, like, there are no retakes. But, like, <laughs> you're talking to people. And, like, you can see them. Like, you can see them smiling. You can uh-huh. you hear them laughing. So it's a lot more uh, it's a lot more exciting in a way. Even if it's, like, you know, yes. a very, you know, smaller, different audience. It's it's so cool to be there in a space with people and, like, talk about stuff and actually get that feedback, like, in real time. Yeah. It's, it's very satisfying. And meeting people and saying hi and, like, hearing people be like, oh, my God, you know, I love your videos. And we had some some fans come up and give us, like, adorable little, like, crafts that they yeah. made, which was super sweet. So of little I, felt penguins. Yeah. Finger puppets. Yeah, we got finger puppets of, the, of, like, the whole OSP curl. So it was adorable. Wonderful. Uh, yeah. One, it is definitely true, like, live feedback from a panel audience is a lot of fun. Because I noticed, like, both of us were like, we're going to make the audience laugh. <laughs> and a lot of people we were on panels with weren't really, they didn't seem to have that same objection, but objective, but I was like, it's going to happen. Yeah. We got to. We had some uh, good some good jokes and yeah. callbacks and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, also, uh, the I just want to real quick shout out the convention's extremely stringent mask and vaccination policy. Yeah. Because uh, both of us have uh, successfully tested negative, so we didn't pick up any con yep, crud because no we stayed masked the whole time. Yeah. Uh, you could not pay me to stop doing this. I am so <laughs> used to getting so sick after conventions. Like day one, someone like shakes your hand. Uh, anyway, whatever. My point is. 
Heck yeah. yeah. They did a really good job. This Big is... ups to the health and safety at, yeah. at ShyCon and, and Worldcon. That was that was really fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> so hell yeah. Um but yeah, that was uh, that was what we've been up to this week. But beyond that, we also had a couple of videos that went out. We retreat back into the digital world. <laughs> yes, once a, you can't see me. Um, but uh, yeah, so first there was uh, the our part of the uh, one musical scene collab uh, yes. organized by Nando B Movies. Uh, who does one of these every year, and it's always an absolute delight to participate in. Yeah. Uh, and it gave me an excuse to talk about the greatest movie known to man, Kung Fu Panda 2, the one with the peacock guy voiced by Gary Oldman. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I didn't know that was Gary Oldman. Yeah, Lord Shen, Gary oh Oldman. Oh, my God, I had no idea. They always get, like, serious heavyweights for the bad guys in Kung Fu Panda because first it was Ian McShane and then it was Gary Oldman and then it was J.K. Simmons. Oh, uh, yeah. oh, I mean, yeah, J.K. Simmons is, like, all the bad guys all well, at once. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, J.K. Simmons has basically one voice he does and it's J.K. Simmons. And but that's perfect. fine. Yeah, it's, it's perfect, great. Yeah. You know, if it ain't broke. Um, yeah. But, yeah, no, it's uh, it was a good movie with a really good score and we got to talk oh, yeah. about uh, the score in probably the best scene in the movie and uh, just kind of unpack why it was good from our absolute lack of uh, professional understanding of how music is put together and what all the terms are. So you're like, it was cool when the when the drum bit did that thing, <laughs> you when, know. When that guy hit the triangle, oh man, it created notes. Hell yeah, sure <laughs> no. did cr- create sound. But I mean, even, you know, with, with neither of us having a like classical training in music theory, like you play guitar, you sing, yeah. I sing. Well, uh, we, we, we listen to a lot of music. Yeah. Um, uh, like, I did choir. It's like, I, I, I did bass. So, like, mm. I can't sing the main line of any of the popular songs. <laughs> yeah, like, put me on Hellfire, I'm great. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So, no, I mean, you know, our, you know, like, kind of half-in, half-out experience where it's like we don't have the technical terms, but we still have, like, enough of an understanding of not just, like, music, but also story structure and how it works together that I think the discussion was really great. And also, all of the other videos in the playlist were so fantastic. Mm. Nando had a great movie, uh, a great... <laughs> Nando had a great video about the movies of James Gunn, um, the Suicide Squad and Guardians of the Galaxy and songs about chains, um, Ooh, yeah. which were really interesting to, to hear about. So his video was great. And there's a whole bunch of other ones in there that were also good. So, um, yeah. Yeah, winners all around. Yeah, it was very fun. Um, I had a lot of fun just getting to sort of unpack what exactly was going on with the score and the scene and why it worked as well as it did. Uh, and when we were initially discussing it, we were thinking of doing two separate scenes. And then we were like, no, hold on. Hold now on. Let's this do is this good. <laughs> um, and we were sort of trying to find a way to split the difference of the format between just we're going to talk completely free form and like, well, I have like specific notes of timestamps. And I, I think we managed to hit a pretty good oh, yeah. uh, compromise where it's like the first like five minutes are like, okay, here's my script. Here's two pages <laughs> that I wrote up about this just kind of on my phone while I was listening through it, like with full headphones, like, all right, wow, what is that instrument doing that thing that I don't have the terminology to describe? And then after that, we just kind of sat down for 40 minutes and we're like, so what the fuck was up with that? <laughs> <laughs> that was so cool. Yeah. yeah. Always fun to just kind of get to gush about something really exciting. Yeah. And that, honestly, that's kind of like, at least in, in my head, it was sort of the impetus for the format of the detailed diatribes is like having done some videos for one excellent scene with, with Nando's collab a couple years back. It's like, yeah. When we do this next year, how are we going to go about it? Because doing those scenes for us was super fun. Yeah. And being able to be like, oh, here's our way that we can talk about, like, extremely, like, deep dive popular media. It was like, ah, yes. Yeah. So it came full circle between this one and then last year's Castlevania. Yeah. Uh, the detailed diatribes have really, have really come into their own, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, every one of our videos is someone's favorite. And hearing people be like, yo, the detailed diatribes are so good. I really like them. You know, uh, it's, it is it is super cool uh, to hear that. So. And on the subject of things that are super. Super. <laughs> man. Yeah. Uh, because we had a second detailed diatribe this week because we were really busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't necessarily want to phrase it as just that we were really busy. No, and yeah. I have phrased it as that in the past. So I'm not like, yeah. 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 But um, we had done the satirizing Superman detailed diatribe. And then 
weeks later, we were chatting just offhandedly, like, oh, you know, I was thinking about this thing, and there's this really cool bit in whatever, like Justice League or something, and you're like, you know, maybe there's something here. <laughs> yeah. And then we just sat down furiously taking notes on a Google Doc and then, like, woke up at 4 a.m. like, yeah. oh, okay, oh, we got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was so ready for this video because when we were talking about this, like, you made the point that made the gears, like, shift in my head, which was, because, of course, you know, when, when we did the first Superman diatribe, it was mostly me being like, man, you know, he's just the coolest and he's a sweetheart and I like these stories about him and it's fun and it makes me mad when people don't get him. Uh, and then, but even then it's like, I just like him because he's got a good heart and he's like, he, he's a very important force for good. And then you were like, yeah, and it's cool how he rescues people. And I was like, what the <laughs> fuck? Why didn't I, what? Um, Cause it's like, that's absolutely true. It sounds obvious and it kind of is. But it's like so fundamental to the way the character works, to the way all superheroes are framed, that it's like it's easy to sort of lose sight of, you know? Yeah. It, it's so foundational, you stop realizing how absolutely important it is. It's like a it's like a retaining wall in a building. It's like it's <laughs> it's, it's been there forever. We can probably knock it down and everything will be fine. Um, and just the sheer fact that Superman is not only like a better person when he rescues people, his stories are more interesting. Yeah. It was like, oh yeah, that. That's kind of the whole crux of the issue, isn't it? Because, you know, writers are no, aren't under any obligation to write people who are good people. They're not under any obligation to write characters that always do the right thing or do good stuff. Mm. But they do need to be interesting because the point of art is to entertain. If it's not entertaining, then it seems to be kind of beefing it on something important. And yeah. it's like this is genuinely the most interesting thing you can do with this character is let him save everybody. I, I think the the way that I was understanding it was like in the mechanics of a story, how does Superman work? Because like mm -hmm. there's character stuff that can happen over the course of an entire story and the arcs that you can explore. But like in the moment to moment, like when you put Superman in a scene, what does the boy do? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like it's it's kind of fun to watch him just, you know, sling punches at Doomsday or Darkseid or uh, Zod or whatever. Yeah. Um, but that's there's only so much you can do with that and it really runs the risk of kind of warfing him because it's like yeah. either he instantly wins or he gets swatted around way more than somebody faster than a speeding bullet and more powerful than a locomotive probably should be yeah um and it's genuinely more interesting to show him going out and rescuing people and yeah. like you know, using the freeze breath to put out a fire in a building and hold up a support beam and, yeah. Yeah, the, one of the commenters uh, uh, had mentioned that he is not the ultimate uh, fighter, the ultimate, he's the ultimate, uh, he's the ultimate firefighter. Yeah. I, I, I beefed that. Uh, the commenter was much more elegant <laughs> than I just was. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, having him be the ultimate firefighter and the ultimate, you know, saving person is... I think easy to get a little bit lost in when there are so many other superheroes who can do all those things. Like, you know, Wonder Woman can also save people, you yeah. know, Martian Manhunter can also save people. Like all these other people can still save people. But the way in which Superman works is a special case because he can do almost everything and he's such a Swiss army knife. Yeah. And he is so uninteresting in combat because even though some commenters made it the point that in various continuities, he did receive some formal training. He's not on the same level as Batman who was fully trained by ninjas. Like yeah. he had some boxing classes, great. <laughs> but um, looking at, you know, Superman as, it's not just that he is really good at saving people, it's that those are kind of the only stories where he really, really, really works. Yeah. So he's the character where leaning into that is the most effective more than any other character, yeah. I think. And it was very interesting because that point kind of just like stitched the whole concept of this character together for me because you know I, I've talked a lot about like there are a lot of superheroes that I really like because they are kind of the team powerhouse they're the reliable character uh, and it is sort of interesting that Superman under some circumstances isn't really that you know he's the frontline fighter he charges in gets swatted into the sidewalk and then spends the next five minutes peeling himself out of a crater and then he comes back and joins the fight because otherwise it's like oh no a problem Superman will just go punch it. Like the Justice League writers room had a lot of problems with power stuff like that. <laughs> One of the like in jokes I guess they had was is this going to be the week where we let Green Lantern make a road so Flash can throw something into the sun and make it not be a problem anymore. <laughs> and they finally let him do it in the finale because <laughs> they were like, we can't, if we establish this precedent, we are never going to be able to have a threat in this series again. <laughs> um, and Superman is kind of like that, but like personified. 
So giving him stuff to do that isn't punch the bad guy until the bad guy stops or give the other leaguers something to do that adds more meaning to Superman's punch the bad guy until the bad guy stops actions make him more interesting. The The episode of Justice League that I brought up as like requ- required viewing on that episode was... um Doomsday Protocol? Doomsday Protocol, yeah. yes. Uh, because uh, Cadmus creates this monster, Doomsday, to kill Superman and like brainwashes him to want to kill Superman. Uh, in fact, I believe... I think this might have been... He might have been created in a different universe and then he came through... No, sorry. I'm getting things confused. The Justice Lords at one point showed up and lobotomized him, but then yeah. he got better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he was like, I'm mad at Superman. And it's like, well, this Superman didn't hurt you. And he's like, I don't care. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a creature of very simple pleasures. And he basically goes to go beat up Superman, who happens to be trying to stop an active volcano from destroying an entire island nation at the time. Which is great because when Doomsday shows up, he says, Superman, I've come to kill you. Is this a bad time? And it's like, it literally is. We can reschedule. I'm, I'm open to that. So, like, everyone else is evacuating everyone from the island while Superman's getting his ass kicked in an active volcano. And they're like, Superman, do you need help in there? And he's like, no, evacuate the island. I'm, I'll handle this. Um, yeah. And I just love that. I love that because it's like this could have been so easily just some very standard death of Superman stuff where they're just slugging it out in a big street with basically nobody around for Superman to rescue and no chance for him to rescue them anyway because he's busy slugging it out with Doomsday. And instead they were like, you know what would make this better? Steaks. So it's just good. It's dang good. And you made a really good point about that. And I'm really glad we got to (laughs) turn it into a whole video. Um, Just because, like, you know, the mystery of what is the point of Superman feels like a question that shouldn't be this complicated But, you know, as we've discussed, there have been a lot of versions that don't seem to get the point of Superman. And then they get paid a bunch of money to write Superman stories where Superman doesn't have a point. And maybe that's the point. It's like, no, it's fucking not. That that really is the tragedy of the Snyder movies. Like, they started with this character of, of Clark who, like, so clearly wants to help. And then the next three movies just wear him down. It's like, no! Yeah. He was perfect! Like, sweet boy, you killed him! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he was an actually hopeful figure in a grimdark world that didn't reward hopeful characters. Yeah. Um, Because, like, there there are a lot of, you know, grimdark worlds and iterations therein. I'm not going to be specific here, but, like... There is a point to which it's just exhausting to consume that kind of media. And, like, when you have an Omni-Man without an Invincible, it's just... It's like, even if it's good satire, it's like... Oh, I don't need this. <laughs> I was briefly discussing this in a in a video that isn't out yet and won't be out for a couple months, but um, I kind of zeroed in on this thing that I noticed uh, that part of the problem I have with some narratives about hope is that they will talk a big game about hope is so important, we must hold on to hope, and then they will ruthlessly crush those characters. Not to the point of them being like, ah, I've given up hope, but more just like, okay, yeah, they, they had hope, and then they died pointlessly. So, like, look at all the good their hope did. It's <laughs> Mission like, accomplished. It's like you read the fucking little match girl, and you're like, oh, at least she still hoped for a better world in the end. And it's like, I don't care. She died, and it was sad. <laughs> this this story didn't reward her hopeful endeavors. But some stories do. And this is kind of a separation between, like, a grimdark narrative and a, a grim, like, a, a really dark and grim narrative that still recognizes that there was a world beyond that. Because if you have a grimdark narrative that's like, you have hope, smack, 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 <laughs> not anymore. But then you have a narrative where it's like, yes, you're doomed. Like, you're on the Titanic, and it's going down. Something like that. But... We can get these people to safety. We can do these things that help. We can make sure this doesn't happen again. All these little things that reward the characters for not giving up and despairing. If there's a story that would have played out exactly the same if the characters had just lined, uh, laid down and died, I'm like, what was the point of any of this? And sometimes, apparently, that's the point. <laughs> just imagining, like, it's not the same thing, but, like, someone watching There Will Come Soft Rains is like, you know, needed harder rain. I yeah. think that could have, been, could have elevated the narrative. Would have cleaned the, uh, the ashy silhouettes off the side of that beautiful <laughs> smart house. <laughs> oh, God. But, I, yeah, those were, those were fun ones. Um, I, I am sure we will have a Superman part three eventually. It might be a bit because I think we're able to, to heal, get a lot of catharsis out of this most recent one. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, it seemed like people were enjoying it in the comments as well, which yeah. is always, um, uh, good to see. So, um, 
would we like to, uh, as we jump into the sort of announcements portion of the podcast, yeah. we don't really have anything to announce right this no, second. No, not so much. But uh, um, we could recommend um, perhaps uh, some of the other videos in the Nando V Movies thing. Uh, we already kind of mentioned that. Red, is there anything yeah. you'd like to give a shout out to? Uh, the thing I've most recently been watching in the background while I do work is the most recent Quentin Reviews video essay. Uh Five hours, delicious, additional content about all those cool live-action Nickelodeon shows that don't at all hold up on any sort of rewatch. Uh, the new one's about Sam and Cat. This is the third of his video series I've watched about shows I never actually watched, and they reaffirm that I made the right decision. <laughs> so uh, I just really like these sort of like media deep dives into stuff that I didn't experience uh, from the perspective of someone who's exclusively validating that. Um, and uh, I just think that his videos in general deserve more. I mean, every single one of them goes, like, turbo viral at this point. So I'm yeah. not sure he really needs the boost. But uh, I think he's got, like, a, like a milestone if he hits, like, a million subs or something wow. like that. So just, yeah, you know, show him some love. Good on him. Yeah. yeah. Very fun. So I think with that, we can uh, skedaddle over to the Q&A portion of the podcast. Yeah. Hello and welcome to the Q&A portion of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast, where we answer your questions from Ask OS Pod on Discord. This first question comes from one of our lovely patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, support the channel, consider becoming a patron for a chance to have your question read first on a future episode. Uh, this question comes from Shark Flynn. To all, with the rumors of Joker 2 being a musical, what non-musical movie would you like to see get a musical sequel? Oh, boy. Is that so true? That, yeah, yeah, Lady Gaga was cast as Harley Quinn. It was like a whole thing. But she's been doing... Isn't she in House of Gucci? Is that a musical? <laughs> Lady it's Gaga not a is music. apparently a spectacular actress. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. She's just kind of cool overall. Because <laughs> like she was doing pop music. It's like, fuck this. I'm going to go sing jazz with Tony Bennett. It's like, you go, Gaga. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Live your truth, girl. Yeah. Um, I... Having not seen Joker and having no interest in it for mm -hmm. aforementioned reasons, yes. like mm -hmm. two minutes ago in podcast time, <laughs> um, what movie that is not a musical would benefit from being a musical? Batman, Batman. Oh. There's there the, is a the song the good folks sing. Uh, <laughs> that's a musical. That's a so I feel ball. like it wouldn't be too hard to make a Batman sequel that was a musical. They did, and with the CW Arrowverse stuff, they had that Flash um, Supergirl musical because, like, <laughs> well, they had both Grant, Grant Gustin, Gustin and Melissa Benoist were both, like, on Glee, I remember. Well, I know Grant Gustin yeah. for sure was. Yeah, I think I think they both were. Yeah, I mean, they can both sing. Yeah. Uh, that was far from the uh, deal breaker that made me stop watching the CW. That was, like, seasons <laughs> later. But um, I guess, like, if you're thinking of a movie that wasn't a musical to start with, that you think not only is there more story that could be told here, but it would benefit from being told in a musical format. They're already making like six Avatar sequels. You can make one of them a musical. <laughs> one a musical. Easy. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. I, I would love to see what the fuck kind of nonsense... Christopher Nolan would get up to in a musical. Oh, it I wouldn't just... work. No, and it would be no. hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, what happens if we just played all of our songs backwards? <laughs> no, you know that what Nolan would do is be like, it's unrealistic that all this fancy lighting and stagecraft would just materialize for the purposes of a musical number. So what we just reinvent is the fucking Tom Hooper movie musical. Yeah, yeah. you're just creating Tom Hooper 2.0. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just, so. yeah. Um, okay, let's I guess that wasn't what needs it. That's just what's most jarring. That would suck yeah. pretty hard. I guess the, uh, the harder question is like, what's a good movie... Oh, I got it. Everything, everywhere, all at once. And they could even justify mm. it in universe. There could absolutely be a, a multiverse split where it just happens to have, like, perfect musical yeah. numbers on the regs. Yeah. Um, in fact, I think there is canonically a, a universe where she's, like, an opera singer huh. uh, yeah, there that is. they sometimes it's, cut over they to. Cut so to the movie sometimes. Yeah. That movie's so good. <laughs> I don't think it really needs a sequel, but I think if they did make it a sequel, they would have to make it even more batshit than the first one. Mm. <laughs> and I think doing some kind of weird jo uh, genre bending, like, because they already did that. Like, they had a fight scene that was full, like, Jackie Chan homage, and then they had all this other stuff that was kind of more like, like, what what's, like, the modern equivalent of something like Bridgerton or, like, Jane Austen, you know, like, everyone's like, rich and fancy and having Regency. romantic... Yeah, yeah, yeah. A Regency, like, it, yeah, like, like a, a Regency modern romance, Regency. but, like... 
Senate a different type. Not Regency. Yeah, yeah, I guess just Roman. No, that doesn't sound right. It doesn't have right implications. But, like, it was already genre-bending. They could just do different genres for the next one. Yeah. I think they should just yeah. make season three of Bridgerton a musical. I feel like that would just be, you know, you're, you already got two seasons of, the like, classic Regency shit under your belt, and you keep making me listen to, like, quadril versions of Taylor Swift songs. You might as well just add what? words to it. Because <laughs> all, all the songs in that show are, like, uh, what was the one that was going around for a while? They're, they're always turning on TikTok. They took, a lot, they took modern pop songs, including I think a Taylor Swift song at one point, and then they play them in the orchestration that would have been playing at oh, like agency parties. Just... So if you listen to the tunes in the background, it's like, oh yeah, that's like Miley Cyrus. That's like shit you do in a D&D game. When it's they're fun. Like, yeah, just I think it's like bar yeah. core. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's fun wow. and campy. I don't know. I kind of like it. Um, that show yeah. plays pretty fast and loose with you know historical accuracy anyway. So what's a little bit more. What's um, one more? Yeah, no, I, that's a good one. It is kind of hard finding movies that don't already have sequels that could <laughs> yeah. conceivably have a sequel. Hmm. What's like a what's like a good underrated gem? Oh, you know what? I want League of Extraordinary Gentlemen too. Can't be more of a tire fire than the first one. <laughs> and this time they all sing. I think Clue the movie. When's the MCU gonna fun? man up? Nut up and then do a musical. No, <laughs> it'll no, be so bad. It'll be no. so bad. I'm probably gonna do that in an episode of She-Hulk or Loki or some shit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, not uh, any, oh, need? I, no. I think like a murder mystery musical could be really fun though. So like like either the, one of the new Knives Out movies or like make it make a follow up to Clue the movie, but make it a musical. Because, you know, you get all those, like, sneaky little music numbers jumping around. They already did Tim no, Curry, so right in a movie without him singing, but still. No, but Knives Out 2. Knives Out 2, musical, musical. That would be exquisite. Oh, you know. I, I just, you in know. my head, like, I saw the track list, and at the top, or, like, not at the top, like, song number four is, like, They Don't Know I Did It. And it's sung <laughs> by, like, the current most suspicious person. But it's it's actually, like, it's full of double meanings, but it's referring to something completely unrelated to the murder. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's exactly. like, I've been secretly donating my salary to a local pet shelter. <laughs> they don't know I did it. Um, <laughs> and you can tell it's because yeah. an I want song. They want to donate their money. Right. <laughs> That's Rather the than secret. an I am yeah. song. Yeah. I, I, I think that is good. I'd also love to see that new crop of like the Agatha Christie, like Orient Express, Death on the Nile. Because those, I don't think, worked very great. Nope. And, yeah. No. So just like cut that and then just do the third one as a full musical instead. Yeah. I, so I think any murder mystery is primed for a musical. Uh, yeah. I feel like have they done that in Only Murders in the Building? Intact. Because they've got Selena Maybe? Gomez. I don't think they have Maybe. done a musical episode. I think they play it a little bit more straight. All right. They haven't quite gotten to, like, Lucifer levels of Jumping the Shark, where they can just throw a musical episode in for the funsies. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, I think any murder mystery movie, particularly Knives Out, would be the OSP pick. Perfect. This question comes from Vanquisher08 to Red and Blue. I just got your absolutely delightful pins in the mail, and they reminded me of a little trinket you would get in a video game. If they were actual video game power-ups, what abilities would they give you? So the OSP pins that just went out... um, so someone's got their little red and blue plushy pins. What what power ups are they getting? Yeah. What boons the, in, a, in their this video? This is a good game? question. Because <laughs> we've, we've answered take this. <laughs> like several dozen episodes back, we answered like when we are defeated in battle as our boss fights, yeah. what mm-hmm. what pickups does the player get? And we got some great fan art of it too. Oh, it was so um, cute. But for this specifically, boons. Hmm. Because, like, if this was D&D, it would just be skill checks, because... Yeah, it's yeah. like, you you have, you know, your certain amount of equipment slots you can put the pin on as part of that equipment. Um, I'd say what? each one gives you, like, a plus two to performance checks, you know. Right. Yeah. But it's then like there's, like, nice. another, like, there's a little spice on it for each of them. <laughs> um, I feel like... Hmm. One useful ability... I don't know how interesting this is, but, like... If for one of ours, I guess, let's say mine, um, like if you just pick up a book, you know exactly what information you were looking for in that book, and it's just in your head immediately. You can just it's osmose like a, knowledge. It, it makes the uh, quest objects glow, so you don't just have to like search the background for what's clickable. You can just like see the specific really one you're funny. looking for. But in my head, all I can imagine is, like, you brush your elbow against, like, a fiction book you were reading, and you're, like, the the entire ending page flashes in your mind. You're like, oh, fuck! <laughs> or just, like, someone goes to a library just, like, putting their hands on all the books. Straight. Like, I'm learning! Yeah. <laughs> 
So then the librarian's like, uh, can I help you? And you're like, oh, don't mind me. Just like walking along, <laughs> tracing your hand. Oh, that's so fun. Um, I yeah, was going to do like a double jump or something. <laughs> but I, I, I don't think I can beat that one. That's just so creative. Um, I mean, the thing is, you, you guys all got to understand that my formative video game experience was a lot of very shouty Smash Bros. So in my head, it's all stuff like turns you metal, makes you very small, <laughs> lets you jump high. Anyone who plays without items <laughs> doesn't understand what Smash Bros. is all about. All right. Yeah. It's like that tweet where it's like, I'd be winning every round of Mario Kart if my teammates weren't engaging in some very unsportsmanlike behavior. <laughs> That's what you guys are like when you're like, no items. It's a true test of skill. It's like, yeah, go Look, play Tekken or some shit. I'm playing a pretty anime sword boy. Because that's my shit, all right? Not because I think his hitbox is marginally smaller than this other pretty anime sword boy. I'm playing Smash Bros. because I want to be able to summon seven Lugias in the middle of Coconut Mall. <laughs> that's honestly the only thing that anyone should play that game for. Uh, I think my inventory, my item, would it would be similar to that. It would be like a, like a, like a metal skin, like a metal Mario skin with a slight like reddish tint. Um, nice. And also maybe it would let you like like do that sliding dash thing from the Mega Man games where you just like you know. You <laughs> well, you're talking low, about on Rolling with Difficulty slide. how you could used to be able to do the kip up, so maybe like and it unlocks the kip up ability when you have it equipped. I can still do a kip up; it just hurts my neck the next day. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah. uh, yes and, um, and then like the implications of the book thing is like if someone really wants to just bother you they can like throw some like trashy tabloid magazine or smutty book at you <laughs> and they're like ah oh, god gross I didn't want to know who Ryan Gosling was dating damn it <laughs> Boy. incredible uh, well this next that question is. comes from Just B bit of a process question how do you all know when you are done researching for a video I've been doing readings for a SciComm project myself and feel like the more I read and learn, the more I have to know about and cover. So when you're doing research for your videos, how do you know that you've gotten all the information you'd like to include and what's that process like? That's a really good question. Uh, the question of sort of when to cut yourself off is a little bit mm -hmm. tricky for me at least. Uh, I tend to, excuse me, I tend to go into like my larger research projects with the intent of formulating some kind of thesis uh, just a general argument of like what I think is the point of this video. So like, especially with the deep dives, it's like, where are we starting? Where are we ending up? And how do I think we got from point A to point B? This is essentially taking the entire space of history and cultural development and trying to trace a path through it. And then how much do I need to build out on either side for that to make sense? And how do I navigate from point A to point B? So essentially the first step of, okay, the research is done because there's two stages in this version, is uh, I've found the path. I have figured mm -hmm. out how I think this got from point A to point B. And then the second part is how much context do I need and will <laughs> that in turn send me off on other little rabbit yeah, holes? Yeah, and that's a question of mm -hmm. like personal restraint as a mm -hmm. writer and like how, how far outside of your charge are you going to go here? <laughs> exactly, yeah. So in a lot of these cases, it's just like, okay, this is the thing that happens in this specific story. Who wrote it and when... And does it happen in another story that might have a connection to it? Like that kind of thing. So just like the basic level of context, the bare minimum around the path is who wrote this thing? When did they write it? Was anything really important happening around them at the time? And then you can sort of build out from there. But uh, honestly, that tends to be its own thing. Yeah. There, There's just so much stuff there. You kind of need to choose. You know, you need to choose mm -hmm. what you're including because you cannot possibly make it fully comprehensive. Yeah, and then if, like, if you try to create a, a document that has every piece of information on the subject, it will be unintelligible mm -hmm. because there will be no through line or thread for the reader to follow. So exactly. restraint plays a big part in it. There are, there are two things that I, I would say. One is for me, my, my old rule was, you know, keep researching until I no longer have any questions. Mm. So it's like once I feel like, okay, I no longer have any questions, that's enough for me to start. And then as I'm, you know, let's say I'm writing a script, I will eventually get to something where I'm like, oh, wait, I don't have this detail. Now I have so much background information that I know where to go looking for it. Yeah. So I don't anticipate I'll be able to get everything done on the first pass because I'll just never write the damn thing. Mm -hmm. Get enough that I can start trusting that eventually I will get to the point where if I have a question, I'll know exactly where to look and I can find it quickly and easily rather than, you know, 
either just researching forever or starting and then getting to sentence two and it's like, okay, now I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. So it's, it's a balance. It's not like just research and then just write. It's a bunch of research at the front and then you kind of like go back and forth between writing research, writing research, and then eventually you, you finish your charge, assuming you don't turn it into a five-hour video essay. Yeah. No, that's definitely uh, similar to my approach on that regard too because once I have like a full set of notes, I often, when I'm writing through it, will kind of end up taking a slightly different approach than I was expecting or like a thing that I was sort of glossing over is like, hold on, there's nothing there actually. That's interesting. Um, I mean, there's no hard line rule for this, obviously. I think that this entire space has such like fuzzy edges that there's no yeah. real way to be like, I've done it. I've found every single relevant piece of information about this one thing. Uh, so, like, you know, you can't get that kind of like mathematical precision in something mm -hmm. like the humanities just in general. But uh for me, it tends to be like the, the minimum information required to make this specific thread that I'm tracing out make sense. Like if there's a jump from point A to point B where there's a key transition, what made that specific thing happen? And it can just be this one author or like this one time period saw this general social change that like aligns with this shift. So like when I was doing the Dionysus video and it was like, okay, so at some point Dionysus went from like sort of eldritch god to like <laughs> the patron saint of partying it up. And it's like, well, what was also happening at that time? Oh yeah, Rome. <laughs> I wonder why they might've wanted to throw more parties. Uh, and it's like, all right, I'm not gonna say like categorically, this happened specifically because of that. But I can kind of be like, I think that all the context an audience needs to understand the general gist of like what got Dionysus over the hump to being this sort of like perpetually drunk party boy. All I need to yeah. say is it's Rome, baby. They were doing that stuff on yeah, the regs. Like Alexander makes his conquest and then, you know, Greek culture stretches from like northern Thrace to mm -hmm. like all the way into Parthia. And then it's like, let's drink. Yeah, we did it. <laughs> yeah, let's get crunk. Yeah, I, like, I also perfect. think like even, you know, in a similar space, like people who do this stuff academically will spend four, five, six years working on something that seems almost impossibly niche. Like yeah. I, I knew someone through like a mutual friend who had done a thesis on messenger characters in the Iliad. For six years, that was all, and they, they had a lot to say about it, but like if you pick something suitably niche, mm -hmm. you can spend six years working on that. It's it's basically, there's infinite depth in anything. Yeah. You know, you can, you can spend an indefinite amount of time and you will never be done finding every single important piece of information because history is so complicated and so fractal that it just gets like, you can zoom in on any part and it's just as complicated as the big view that you just yeah. came from. Yeah. So um, like looking at, you know, other history channels, you know, for instance, yeah. say someone does a video on Napoleon. Yep. You could do a four hour video on Napoleon just, you know, and, and I could do a four hour video on all of France yeah. and have like, yeah. And then this one guy was like an emperor for five minutes. It's, it's a whole thing. And like any single sentence could be its own entire rabbit hole. So understanding your, your scope will make a lot of the decisions for you. Yeah. So it kind of loops back again to like, what's the point of this video? Yeah. What specific thing am I trying to get across? And once you've done that, you can be like, all right, I'm good. I, yeah. I've, I've successfully done this without derailing too much into something unrelated. That's all I needed. So, yeah. yeah. Good stuff. Research is a lot of fun, but it, yeah, very easy to get off the rails. Uh, this next question comes from L to Blue. What are some historical figures that knew how to party? Historical the figures that knew how Alexander the Great yeah. uh, died of either alcohol poisoning or poison poisoning. Uh, um, a classic blunder. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he should have he done more Iocane powder in his youth. Um, he was in his youth. He was, what, 17? <laughs> yeah, he should have done more Iocane God, powder. what the fuck have we no, accomplished? No, he, uh, he was 20... I think he was, like, either 23 or 25. Oh, God, that's not better. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> and Caesar, like, when Caesar visited Alexander's tomb in Alexandria in, like, whatever the year it was, like, like 51 BC or some nonsense, mm. he was like, I'm twice your age and I've conquered half as much. Fuck me, man. <laughs> Um, uh, historical figures who knew how to party. Live fast, die young, depress the fuck out of everyone that comes after you. <laughs> <laughs> Set an impossible standard. Um, God, like anyone in the Renaissance was like getting blasted and banging on the rag. So I think that's like almost a gimme. Um, those like, those, those Victorians went fucking hard, oh, man. Yeah. 
they they were nuts. Like anyone who got within like a mile of absinthe, like holy shit, Those it was over. It was over. I have a question. <laughs> yeah. Was the Marquis de Sade like a real weirdo guy? Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Does that count? Does he? I guess if you consider like grievous bodily harm for joy as partying, like yeah, I believe that is one definition of partying. <laughs> All right, yeah, cool. I just yeah. know him by reputation and the kind that I tend to skim very quickly over the end of the sentence when I see it come yeah, up. It's so. like okay, definitely ace next chapter. Yeah, th- thanks, folks. <laughs> yeah, um, Marquis de Sade went 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 pretty hard. Yeah. Um, God, the Roman emperors knew how to party. That's for sure. They they knew how to drain a treasury on on one big night. <laughs> um, also, like if you watch any of Max Miller uh, tasting histories videos yes. on like medieval feasts, like the amount of money that went into like any given Tuesday where they're feeding like knights of the realm table for five hundred with like seventeen course meals, like. If you were if you were the 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 point oh oh one percent in the medieval uh, period, you were having a ball. This is not related to that at all. But Go I off. I grievously now want to see Gordon Ramsay get isekai'd into like oh, medieval England and just immediately acclimate. <laughs> like there's like one day where he's like, oh, the fuck is going on? And then like he, he stumbles into like the castle kitchen and they're like, we're prepping for the feast, uh, but my lord has provided us uh, far insufficient quantities of pheasants. And he's like, all right, fuck off, let's get this gun. <laughs> Why are you storing the meat on top of the rice? How do you have rice anyway? <laughs> yeah. That's that's Excellent. what I really want. That's yeah, basically what I want. any medieval court and then any Victorian person. Perfect. And then also, like, the whole, like, Renaissance European aristocracy. Yeah. Hell <laughs> yeah. So those are where you should go back in time if you know you're looking to party. Uh, yeah. This next question comes from Smiles Through Fandoms to Red and Indigo. My best friend is getting married the first weekend in December, and I'm one of her bridesmaids. Any advice on how to make the big day go as smoothly as possible? Perhaps any gift recommendations for the happy couple? Uh, Blue, please don't say swords. This couple is not fit for war yet. Love the channel, love the pod, and hope you have a good day. So uh, we were we were grooms mates <laughs> for Blue yeah, and Cyan. Not quite the same thing. Uh, not not exactly the same. But you know, do you have any uh, tips on how to make uh, how to support your friend on their big day? Or I guess Blue, is there anything that you or Cyan experienced? <laughs> when the groom accidentally <laughs> leaves half of the bouquets at his apartment, uh, make sure that yeah. one of you has a car. <laughs> yeah, I mean that yeah. is genuinely like a good thing to mm-hmm. consider. Because, you know, we as groomsmaids, like the bridesmaids were like at like DEFCON 4 going oh, up, like yeah. crazy shit was happening. <laughs> and then we were just like chilling with like the, the Wii Sports theme music in the background, <laughs> just like eating Danishes, being like, man, pretty yeah. view. Uh, but what that basically means is that you are on standby yeah. in case mm-hmm. any shit happens. Because what ended up happening as we uh, we just hinted at, is that some bouquets got left behind at a critical location. There was a lot of stuff that we did manage yeah. to cart over well, to the hotel. That's the thing. <laughs> a wedding is a hugely complicated endeavor, but that means yeah. it has a lot of potential points of failure. And essentially, as, a, uh, as an ally to the happy couple, <laughs> what this means is that it is your duty to stand stalwart and true and prepare for whatever yeah. fates may conspire against them on this their exactly. wedding day. Yeah. I, uh, I've been a bridesmaid on other occasions, and it's the same. I mean, it's a di- different title, same concept. It's You're there to make sure that your friend has the best day possible and to help alleviate any stress that may arise, whether that's being ready yeah. to run an errand last minute or just like cracking jokes at the right moment to relieve the tension. Just focus on like supporting your friend, uh, you know, making sure that they are staying as calm as possible and enjoying themselves mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, weddings yeah. are stressful. Um, yeah. Yeah. As Basically for gifts, being, well, <laughs> okay, yes, you please. know, yeah, gifts is like a whole different ballgame. That really yeah. depends on who they are. But like mm-hmm. for for the actual wedding, like being like ready in case they need something yeah. is helpful because like yeah. in general, when it comes to a wedding, it's not your job to like take the initiative and do anything weird. But if like anyone higher up the wedding chain is like, hey, this thing <laughs> needs doing. Can you do specifically X, Y, and Z? You're like, yes. So yeah. in this specific case, I and one other groomsmate ended up basically piling into his car tearing across town, picking up the box, tearing back across town, Mm -hmm. and we were fine. And it was also helpful because, like, as the groomsmates, we were a little more disposable, so the fact that it was raining was not a deal breaker because we were in suits. And it's like, if this was the groom, he cannot get, he can't get damp. It's not allowed. My hair would poof beyond maximum volume. (laughs) Yeah. 
He turns into um, an evil so basically, and then we gotta whole, reschedule the whole wedding. It's like a whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, the, the clock strikes midnight and he turns into a pumpkin. Um, <laughs> so basically, it's, you know, you don't need to worry about the planning part. Other people have already done the hard part of planning out the wedding. You basically just need to be on standby in case they need something that you can do. Um, Yeah. But also, if you are a bridesmaid, please do be on time if they tell you to come get your hair and makeup done. Um, Yes. I guess don't actively fuck up the schedule, but like otherwise, you know, (laughs) like be on time to stuff. if you have the op- like if you know if you have a car around that's always a helpful resource to have you know if, if you have the option of like running out buying something that's also good but like yeah you, you the know it's a big group it is like endeavor. you're there to support your friend so be ready to be helpful and supportive basically yeah however that looks for that particular day it's going to be different for every wedding um and also it's mm-hmm. never wrong to just get something off the registry people wouldn't put stuff on their registry if they didn't want it so oh, if you're yeah. ever gonna, if yeah, you can't sure. think of something that you're like i definitely want to get this for my friend just get that something off the registry it's fine um cool nice. yeah well we have time for one last question uh today before we sign off on this here podcast uh this one comes from uh Kobe. To all, this is based on an ask from the Aurora Tumblr. If you were a magical girl, what would your name uh. and power slash weapon be? <laughs> Thank you for all your hard work on your videos and comic. They always bring such a joy to my day. Uh. <laughs> I'm very glad that this uh, transplanted onto the pod because when I initially answered this question on Tumblr, I was suffering from the fact that I have not consumed very much magical girl media. Oof. I've read the webcomic Sleepless Domain, which I highly recommend. It's quite good. First two chapters are very heavy, be warned. Uh, and I've watched 11 episodes total of Sailor Moon. Um, and yeah. I've watched Madoka one time for like a video, <laughs> but not really since. Uh, so I don't really understand the naming conventions. As I understand it, a lot of them don't Usually, really get special they just code sort names. of pick a theme, and then it's like, we're going to run with that. Um, that's why, like, the Sailor Scouts are all planets and or the moon. Um, uh, what is it? Tokyo Mew Mew, they're all, like, fruits and vegetables and stuff. I'm sorry, um, back up. <laughs> Tokyo <laughs> Mew Mew. <laughs> it's got a reboot recently, so I've been seeing buzz about it, but or remake, but I didn't actually watch the show when I was a kid. Um, hmm. But some of them don't have nicknames. Some of them just have, like, powers that have a very specific theme, and so they just sort of wear their theme. So I guess, you know, OSP were already color-coded. We could yes. mm-hmm. make that the hypothetical easy. OSP Magical Girl team. So I guess the question then becomes, like, are we going in like a Winx Club direction where we each have like a very specific um, domain that gives us power? Like one is the music person, one is the fire person. I have questions or, about this. Yeah, yeah I've course. heard Winx Club name dropped and I saw stuff about the live action remake nobody oh, liked. So <laughs> what are the rules of this world? They are fairies. So like anyone who's a fairy can transform, but then everyone has a very specific set of things that they can do when they are a fairy. Like they have a specific power set. Usually it's based on like where they're from or some tangible like trait. So like there's the tech one and then there's Ah. the music one and then there's the flowers and plants one. Uh, And they don't like cross over much, uh, which is pretty standard for magical girls. Usually whatever your Uh, elemental or iconography is, you're going to be doing just that. Would Sheer on the Princesses of Power count as magical girl? Uh, Kind of. Because this is the only this is the only (laughs) touch point to this I have. So even if that's not true, that is the that's the paradigm I'm working on here. I think it's not dissimilar. I think the fact that they don't really have secret identities or something like that, no transformation is involved. uh, Well, except for Shira, she's the only one. yeah, but I yeah, think the, yeah, the idea I, of like I having a specific power set that like you only do this one thing is pretty. Yes, th- that's in line and like color coding and you know, right. Well, for the sake of stuff, you know, <laughs> for the sake of remaining consistent, I'll go with the answer I gave on the Tumblr ask for the specific like the gimmick, the thing, mm-hmm. which would be sound because I am of the opinion that if you like clash fists or weapons together, it should produce a visible shockwave, and mm-hmm. it's upsetting that it doesn't. So that would be the one thing I adjust. With, with like a magical girl transformation. When I hit stuff, I wanted to do that like tough style reverberation craziness. <laughs> cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. And it kind of even works with like what I do for a living. So you know, what yeah. else? Makes sense. Makes sense. The red one in Wings Club is also the music and sound fairy. So thematically, really? it's all coming together. Yeah, we're already parallel. Huh. Weird. Um, 
it's not the color I'd choose for sound typically, but <laughs> so blue. If we it's go the first half of the Doppler, heard... <laughs> oh. no, we, we got to do a Doppler pairing on this one. So what is it? Red is that. sound coming towards you. Blue is coming away from you. That's not. No. Uh, is it backwards? Basically, uh, when something is moving towards you, uh, the waves coming off of it are compressed, which blue shifts things. Okay. I'm going to feel silly if that's wrong. Um, <laughs> Hold on. Yeah. Google foo. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Hold. Holding. Okay, so if we're going off of that base, then we're probably not doing just like straight elements for the OSP uh, Magical Girls team. It sounds more like area yes, speciality. Right. Blue shifting is when... Uh, uh, blue shifting is when an object is moving towards you. Red shifting is when it's moving away from you. Uh, mm. The same principle applies in sound. Things that move towards you seem to be like higher frequency mm-hmm. uh, as they're moving away. So it's why like when an ambulance blows past you, it yeah. goes from like sounding higher to sounding lower. Right. Um, and it, visually in color, something moving towards you will look bluish and something moving away from you at speed will look reddish because the light coming off of it is sort of like it's relative <laughs> relativity is sort of <laughs> screwing it over because the light's coming out but it's also getting dragged back so it makes the wavelength longer um yeah it could just i don't be know this will work for magical like girl like dyad so maybe i retract that <laughs> no, uh, but like some kind uh, of like light thing would be cool or like i was thinking because like yeah, like a sound and light yeah if, i could do a, a light themed magical <laughs> girl we power could be lights camera action oh my god <laughs> that's what I was like, every single osp magical girl is just a different facet of like video production <laughs> like you oh know red's boy. got sound wow. blue, but we would have to be called lights camera action and i could be yeah action. lights camera Yay. action <laughs> yeah oh boy all right we got it so we got it yeah but okay uh, okay, so all... if you're... No, yeah, that's everything. You got the names? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So red, your action. Blue, that makes you light. Yeah. <laughs> I'm lights. I just throw lenses at people. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a lot of stuff you could do with... Um, yeah. With... Uh, it could be just general tech-based, uh, as we've just established, <laughs> yeah. that tech is an element that... Uh... Yeah, you're the entrapta. <laughs> <Yeah>. Nice. <laughs> Does that cool. make me glimmer? Fuck. <laughs> yeah. Sparkles! <No>! Yay! <laughs> that's so fun. Awesome. <laughs> And, you know, every oh, Magical Girl team does need their, like, uh, cat. Usually it's a cat sidekick. So I think we're golden between Ziggy and Cleo. We got and our we get Artemis two, and Luna. Just like they get in Sailor Moon. Just in like the in seasons Sailor I haven't Moon. seen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, awesome. Well, that is all the time we have on the podcast today. Red, are you ready to do the outro? I'm always ready. That's why they call me action. Uh, hey. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Uh, wow, thank you all so, so much for listening to the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. As always, we'll be back in two weeks with another exciting episode about two new videos that are going to be coming out on Fridays. Uh, I don't remember what they are right now, but that's okay. Me in the future will. And she's redshifting away from us as we speak. I'm losing the thread here, but that's okay. Uh, I think that's basically all our bases covered because we didn't really have a lot going on. Except for, for in real life, where we had an absolute fuck ton going on. <laughs> so, uh, until next time, I've been Red. I've been Sparkles. <laughs> and this has been an overly sarcastic podcast. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. We'll be back on September 21st with another thrilling installment, but if you miss us before then, be sure to check out Overly Sarcastic Productions on YouTube. Got a question for the pod? Head over to Ask OS Pod on Discord for a chance for your question to be featured in a future episode. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. And if you really enjoyed the show, consider becoming a patron. Links to all that and more can be found in the show notes below.